Hello and welcome to the Emotional Work Podcast where we take a deep dive into the human condition. And it's a it's a bit of a special edition today, I suppose, really, because for the first time in a while, we haven't got a guest. Um, and uh, that's a deliberate choice on my part because I wanted to to put together a, a, yeah something a, a little bit different. Um, and it was inspired by a post that I shared on LinkedIn recently. So I, I put a post uh, out about how I'm just really tired and I'm I'm exhausted and I'm a little bit fed up of uh, of lockdown of COVID of all of those things. Um, and within that post, I asked uh, people for some suggestions about what do they do. You know, what do they do to help themselves um, if they're you know experiencing similar feelings of just general fed upness and exhaustion. And um, we've got some really really interesting uh, responses back. Um, and when they started to come in. I then got to thinking about well, how would how might we categorise or uh, order or structure these in a way, um, which then got me thinking. Oh, that might be interesting to share in a post, and then that got me thinking. Well, that might be interesting to share in a podcast, actually. Um, so that's kind of how how we've got to um, to where we've got to. Because I, I think part of the reason that uh, I'm really tired at the moment is because of the amount of emotional labour that's being that's having to be done, or it's, well, especially having to be done by me, I guess. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that, but it's certainly something that is is taking its toll for me anyway. Um, and uh, emotional labour is something that we've talked about in a couple of previous episodes of uh, of the podcast. We talked about it in episode two with S. J. Lenny, um, and talked about it with. Uh, I think it was with Mark when Mark Gilroy was on um, for episode twenty-seven as well. We talked about it, um, and and uh, the idea of emotional labour was first put together by Ali Hoschild, um, and Ali was talking about this idea that as well as having mental labour, which is the thinking that we need to do, and physical labour, which is the physical things we need to do, uh, there's also emotional labour, which is the the work we have to do to manage our own and other people's emotions. And sometimes that it might be about um, affecting or changing how we feel. So um, a lot of Ali Hoschild's original research was done, for example, with uh, air stewardesses or people that worked in service industries where they had to kind of perform being overly happy or overly helpful when they didn't necessarily feel that way. But emotional labour is any kind of work, essentially, that you have to do um, to work with, regulate and manage your emotions. And, and that can be really tiring, especially when your emotions are either highly charged or where your emotions are, are going on for a long time. And for me, there's a big part of that um, with lockdown. You know, there's a number of different emotions that are all you know kind of being visited regularly. And and one of the, one of those big ones, I should say, is loss. And there's been loads and loads of loss around COVID. You know, so there's the the worst loss of all, which is the loss of life. You know, in the UK, recently we hit the very sad milestone of a hundred thousand deaths um, or hundred thousand COVID related deaths, um, which is just a, a yeah a huge loss um, to the the friends, family, and loved ones of, of those that are no longer with us. In addition to, to loss of life, though, we've got loss of income. You know, for some, some people have lost their jobs. Redundancies, again, in the UK, I can't talk worldwide, but redundancies in the UK are, are, are increasing and have been increasing for the last nine months um, because of the economic impact of, of COVID. And what that then means is that's a, a loss of security, loss of safety. We've also had a loss of freedoms. You know, we're, we're restricted, well, you know, in the UK anyway at the moment. 
we're restricted in terms of the amount of activities we can do. We can leave the house once a day for exercise. We can leave the the, the house for an essential trip. Um, uh, but essentially, that's it. So all of the freedoms that we may have, have had, all of the freedoms we may have enjoyed, have been taken away. And there's, there's a kind of a duality to that loss. There's the physical loss of not being able to do it. So I can't you know, go, I, I can't go play football or I can't go watch Joseph play football. But there's also the kind of imagined loss of, of, of what else I'm missing out on because I'm missing out on seeing friends. I'm missing out on uh, on seeing family. I'm missing out on going on a holiday. I'm missing out on so many things. And so that compounding sense of loss is just hard. You know, it's hard to deal with and, and hard to work with. And it takes effort to, to do so and not to get, say, caught up in that emotion or to hang on to that emotion. And that's the emotional work um, and the emotional labour, I should say, that uh, that we're talking about. And, and in the same way that physical labour and or mental labour are exhausting, emotional labour is exhausting as well. So you combine those things together. And in a way, um, I, you know, if I try and look at it rationally, it's no wonder I'm tired. You know, I'm, uh, work is busy which is a great thing um, and a challenge at the same time. Um, yeah, I'm a chair of governors from my local primary school and that's really busy because there's loads of things going on within the education system. So that you know, requires um, work as well. And then there's all the, the homeschooling from a family perspective. And then when you put on all the emotion and then, well, sorry, try again. And then there's the tasks that you need to complete at home and then all the emotions that go with it. So you've got both the physical labor, you've got the mental labor and you've got the emotional labor. And part of it goes, well, it's no wonder that I'm tired then. Um, and, and again, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And, and I was very conscious as I was kind of listing some of those things off that I'm very fortunate. I'm fortunate to be busy. I'm fortunate that work is is busy and, I, you know, and, and there's lots on. I'm fortunate that, that I've got the opportunity to to volunteer and support at the local school and I'm, I'm fortunate that I've got my family around me um, and I don't I know not everybody has that so I guess I wanted to acknowledge that that I'm quite lucky um, uh, and I have those advantages that not necessarily everybody else may have and at the same time you know how we feel matters um, and that that emotional labor that we're having to go through can be really tricky so what I wanted to do then was to to try and put something together or attempt or hope that I would put something together in this podcast that would be of use and benefit to you, fair listener, um, along the way. And I've already linked back to episode episode two, and I said 27, but I got that wrong. I'd have to read, I'll have to, I'll put the correct link in the show notes. But I do want to link back to episode 27 of the podcast where I had James Gross on as a guest. Now, James Gross is uh, one of the world's leading researchers into the topic of emotion regulation. So if emotional labor that Ali Hoshchild talks about is the is the activity that you need to do to, to work with your own and other people's emotions, emotion regulation are the strategies that you would do to do that. So emotional labor describes like an umbrella term that describes the, the work that you have to do. And emotion regulation tries to break it down into the different strategies and approaches that people may use to do that. Um, so if what we talk about in terms of the strategies within this podcast, if they're particularly interesting to you, then I would definitely suggest that you go back and have a listen to episode 27, where I talk with James Gross um, about these five families of emotion regulation. Um. I guess a few things then just about emotion before I go on. So one is um, the frame that I use for all emotions is that they can be used in a constructive way or a destructive way. 
All emotions can be used in a way where you build relationships and you build collaboration. So we'll talk about that being constructive. And also all emotions can be used in a destructive way where they break down relationships and break down collaboration. And that's a a Paul Ekman inspired uh, framing. Uh, and I think that's more helpful than some of the other um, kind of ways that or the, the valences that could be looked at um, when it comes to emotion. And therefore, when we're experiencing emotion, it is information that tells us there is something happening that's important to us or important to our welfare. Or it could be important to others or the welfare of others. So especially those that you're close with or those that you care about. Emotions tell us that there's something important going on. And then what happens is, uh, in appraisal theory anyway, so something happens either outside of us or inside of us. So emotions can be triggered by external stimulus. Uh, They can also be triggered by memories. They can also be triggered by things we imagine. They can also be um, triggered by things that we relive. Um, uh, And then uh, we make them mean something. So, so something happens and our kind of internal radar as a way notices that there's something happening that we think is important to our welfare and, and, it, and it looks then for the emotion that, that kind of most correlates with it. And uh, as a lot of you may know, the human brain likes to find patterns. So it likes to look for things that are similar. So if you're in a situation that you've experienced before and you felt a particular emotion in that situation, then the likelihood is that when when you're in something similar and a similar stimulus occurs, then it will your body your mind will go ah oh, that's the emotion that you need right now. Um, so and then we make it mean something. So an example that I want to share now, and I'll come back to a couple of times as we work our way through, is recently I, I was driving past the local park. Um, and I noticed that the park was quite busy. Now, bearing in mind we're in lockdown, that surprised me. I was like, what's going on there then? Um, and I noticed that there were a number of um, a number of children in there, a number of children at the park from different families that seemed to be mixing, which again was a surprise for me. So I said, like, well, that's, that's not what um, we're meant to be doing. That's not what the rules, the current kind of rules of engagement um, or the rules of lockdown would state. And then I found myself getting angry about that. And I found myself getting quite grumpy and, and frustrated about the flouting or the potential breaking of the uh, of the kind of the rules or the laws around um, the current state of lockdown within the UK. And, and one of the things that I realised was that 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 wasn't really helping me. So it wasn't, I wasn't using that, that emotion constructively because I was judging the choices or decisions or the actions or the behaviors that those people were making. And that wasn't uh, building a relationship or, or building collaboration. Actually, whilst it wasn't maybe not, you know, kind of in that moment in reality, breaking it down, but it wasn't helping me, it wasn't helping build relationships or collaboration. And so I then used a couple of different strategies that we'll work our way through shortly to, to help me kind of work that emotion through. So uh, one of the things I've talked about in the past is that, you know, if I was to give a, a three phrase um, or a th- yeah, three phrase approach to how we can constructively work with our emotions, the first one of those is be heard. The second one of those is uh, create a safe space. So safe space is the second one for us to think about and explore that emotion. And then thirdly, to allow us to move on. So being heard in this example was was me noticing how I was feeling about what I saw. Um, and then 
creating that that safe space within myself or for myself to allow me to explore and think about that um that emotion and what I was making it what I was making it mean and how I was using it and whether it was something that was I felt constructive or destructive um and then that allowed me then to move on uh, so the the story I'm telling myself in my head is that I'm chucking out way too many different ideas and constructs but I'm I'm hoping it all kind of makes sense in a way in that noticing how you feel is really important noticing that there's something that there's your emotions are telling you something that is important to you is happening and then we need to think about how we work that through for ourselves and for um, other people so that we can move on because holding on to emotions can be unhelpful for us and and other people so in a moment, I'm going to move into the the first two families um, when I talk about these five families of emotion regulation. And one thing I'm going to encourage you to do when I get to, to the end of this section and then in the following sections is I'm going to leave a gap. I'm going to leave a pause to give you an opportunity to reflect. You know, So I'm going to leave a gap so you can grab hold of your earphones or grab hold of your, your device, whichever you're listening on, and you can pause it and have the opportunity to do some reflection and take some notes um, if you want to. And what I'll do is I'll pause now before we move on and then I'll pause after each family of uh, emotion regulation. So I guess what I wanted to set out here in, in my opening then is there's a lot of emotion work going on. There's a lot of emotional labor that's happening right now for ourselves and or for other people. And that can be tiring. And I hope that in this podcast today, you get some some strategies, some ideas, some techniques that you can use to help you with any grumpiness, exhaustion or tiredness that you might be experiencing along the way. So I'll pause now and then give you the opportunity to think about anything I've talked about in this opening before we move on. Hello and welcome back. Um, and our first two stress, our first two families, then they would fit, I guess, under the heading of proactive. So these are proactive emotion regulation strategies. And what I mean by proactive is this is um, kind of planning ahead of situations where um, you know or you think um, emotions are going to be involved, um, and then you making some choices about either what you how you can change something, or in this first one the sorts of situations that you can select that you know are going to help you from an emotion regulation perspective. So when um, the LinkedIn post I mentioned earlier on when we shared that there were uh, when I've analysed the responses and the comments that came back there were three top suggestions and they were fresh air, walking and exercise. So Wendy Forrester uh, Tony Allen, Ros Goodwin, Ben Crabb, Chantal Kimver, David Hayden, Joanne Warner, Darren Galsworthy, Owen Davis, Angela Podolsky, Ollie Holt, Miriam Lee, Liz Needham and Sherry Yellup, all of them suggested one of these three things in terms of the fresh air, walking or exercise. So the idea being then that what you're doing is you're choosing something that you know supports you from an emotion regulation perspective, something that you know helps you, that you know is a, a situation where you're going to be able to constructively work with any emotions that you have. So that might be, um, you know, yeah, in whatever way that might be. So this is a proactive approach. Now, we also had some uh, some other things that would sit within this situation selection category, but weren't necessarily about fresh air 
walking or exercise. So Sarah Knight, she talked about reading and not watching TV. Now, she didn't go into the specifics and, and the details of this. Um, but for me, this is a, a similar thing around the news and avoiding the news and to a certain degree, avoiding Twitter. So w- what I was finding was that watching the news regularly or consistently and or being on Twitter regularly and consistently didn't really help me. Um, what I found was that they would either raise kind of frustrations, raise anxieties, raise sadness um, and, and general grumpiness and fatigue. So by choosing not to do those things and uh, to do something else, so as Sarah suggested, to read instead of watching TV is an example of this situational selection approach. Uh, Jill Whitaker. So even though this does, I guess technically this fits in exercise, but it was a it was a, such a unique, wonderful idea. Um, she talks about having a dip in the sea, which I said must be really cold right now. But she said it's okay, so I'll, I'll trust Jill that she knows if it's okay. Um, Angela Podolsky also, as well as talking about fresh air, exercise, and walking, she talks about scheduling in calls with people that you know help, uh, kind of not necessarily help you, but scheduling calls with friends, family, scheduling calls that you know are going to enrich you and um, and do something, yeah, going to help you. And then Sharon Box, she talked about funny videos, and she put a link to a to a this morning video, which I'll put in the show notes as well, um, which was to do with inappropriately shaped vegetables, and I'll leave that. I'll leave that visual treat for you to imagine. Um, uh, so it's a, the, the situation selection family then is about cho- choosing to do certain things or choosing to avoid other things. So it's about seeking situations where you feel enriched or where you feel eased or renewed. And it could be then avoiding situations that, where you tend to experience feelings that you don't want to experience. Um, or feelings that may be uh, less helpful or destructive for you. Um, so for me, um, a good example of that would be not driving past the park because there's a different way. There's a few different ways I can go. Uh, I can get to my house, and one of those is to not drive past the park. So if I if I don't drive past the park, I can't see people in there, and that can't make me grumpy. Now I say can't make me grumpy. People being at the park doesn't make me grumpy. It's what that's what I make it mean. You know, so I, I make it. I make people at the park mean something, and I make it mean, for example, people are breaking the law, or breaking the rules. I'm not. Um, that's not fair, and therefore I feel grumpy. Um, so, and and having that, I guess, having that awareness then is part of it. Where I talk about this being heard, it's hearing the emotion and, and hearing why it's there and, and and why it's come forth because that can help help work it out. So people being at the park doesn't make me grumpy. I make people being at the park mean I get grumpy, which um, I'm hoping is a useful distinction um, to make. And whilst I'm, I may not agree with it, one of the things I can do is I can think about, well, what might be going on for those people that are at the park? I don't know their lives. I don't know their situations. It could be that in their situation, that's what they feel they need to do. That's what they feel they need to do to sustain their emotional, you know, their emotion regulation and to work on, on how they're managing their emotional labor. Um, so whilst I may not agree with it, and I maybe even not understand it, um, I don't have to, to judge it in that way. Um, as a member of my team, Emily says, you know, you do you. So, that can be one way of, of thinking about or, or looking at it, you know, assuming that you know, people are doing the best thing that they can for them in that particular moment at time. 
All right, so I'm going to encourage you to, to pause again here um, and to think about, all right, well, if, if there's one family of emotion regulation strategies and it is a proactive one, which is situation selection, what I'm going to encourage you to think about is what are those situations that enrich, ease or renew you? So what are those situations that you know enrich, ease or renew you? And then think, well, how can I do more of those things? And then likewise, what are those situations where you may where you may feel as though you're anxious or frustrated or angry or grumpy or annoyed or sad? And are those situations that you can avoid and you can choose not to do and you can choose not to, to expose yourself to this sorts of stimulus that might bring forth those kinds of feelings? So pause now and then when we come back, we will talk about the second proactive family which is situation modification. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I hope you had a good think. I hope you had a nice opportunity to, to, to think about some of the questions that I posed. And where we're going to go next then is thinking about this second proactive family, which is situation modification. So if situation selection is choosing those places or choosing those activities or choosing those situations that may enrich, ease or renew you, situation modification is saying, OK, there might be situations that I can't not do. I can't select to do them or not do them. So it's then thinking, well, how can I modify them so that it works most constructively for me? So how can I modify situations so that they work in a really constructive way for me? So when I put the post out on LinkedIn, uh, Kelly Swingler came back with a, a, a wonderful suggestion of walking and talking. So there might be calls that I need to have, calls that I need to do with clients or colleagues or members of my team. Um, and I can't not do them, but I know that going outside and getting fresh air and walking is one of those activities that uh, enriches, eases or renews me. So can I combine those two things together? Do I have to tether myself to my desk and to my camera in Zoom or can I go out for a walk and talk instead? Darren Galsworthy, he also talks about routine. Um, so he talks about having a morning and an evening routine or actually I'm not sure if he said morning and evening to be fair. I think he had a pre-work and post-work routine. But having that routine, that morning routine that works for you, that, you know, sets you up well for the day. So you have to get up every day. There's no getting away from it. But how can you modify that routine so that it works in a constructive way for you? Michelle Batista had a, a different way of looking at it, but similar, which is the uh, having something to look forward to. So I can modify my day by giving myself rewards. What can I give myself as a reward to look forward to at a certain key point in the day? So again, noticing that, yes, there are things we have to do and certain things we might need to do. But what can my, my in Michelle's example, what can my reward or my something to look forward to be? Uh, and then Sherry Yellop uh, also talked about having a bit similar to uh, Darren's routine in terms of having a clear change between work and home having a clear way of changing between being at work and being at home. Now, lockdown, it's interesting how things change over time. Lockdown one, I was dead good at this. Uh, so I would consistently go out for a walk first thing in the morning. Well, first thing, sorry. Before I went into the office, I would go out for a walk. Not far, it was just around the block. It would take me, I don't know, six minutes maybe. And then I'd come back and that would be my kind of right. Now I've I've moved from home to work. And then I would do the same at the end of the day. This time round, I find it a lot harder to do. I think partly because I'm busier, um, but also because um, 
Actually, I don't know why. Why else? I think because I've lost the discipline, I've lost the habit of doing it. I got myself into a habit of it last time and I've not got that at the moment. Um, so that was Sherry's idea. Sorry, a random uh, digression there. But um, uh, Sherry's idea was then having that clear change between work and at home. So it can also, though, this situation modification can also be about adapting or changing the way that you work or the way that you interact with different people. So one of the things that I have been doing more of is when I um, join uh, virtual meetings or virtual calls is having what I'm calling a connection question. So a way of connecting with, with everybody else or connecting with the other people that I'm there with before we move in to what we're actually there to do. And, and it, again, they're typically quite short, quite brief. And, and I enjoy them from a, it helps me connect with that person as a person before we then move into the detail of what we're doing. So some of my favorite questions that I've been asking recently are, what has got you smiling recently? When was the last time you laughed? What are you looking forward to post-COVID? Um, when was the last time you cancelled a meeting? Should we see if we can finish early? And if we did finish early, what would you do? If we cancelled this meeting or you finished early, what would you do instead? As a way of, of trying to connect um, with people. Uh, another um, idea that fits into this and um, that came out through a conversation I was having with um, two members of my team is what they will do is they will call each other and they will call each other you know, and be on a call together, but not necessarily talking about anything. So they'll be working independently at their own desks in different parts of the world, um, but they're on a call together so that they feel like they're connected. They feel like they're with, with somebody else without necessarily talking or working on a piece of work together. But they know that there's someone else there and, and it gives them a feeling of connection, which I thought was a really nice idea as well and reminded me of the, the type of things that L&D co-work do. So um, if you were on Twitter and you searched, searched hashtag LND co-work, um, then you'll find the virtual L&D co-work activities that are happening. Um, historically, when Michelle Paris Slater and Fiona McBride kind of set up L&D co-work, um, it was a, a physical thing where people would come together in, and co-work in a space, um, but work independently on different things. Um, and you can do that in a virtual way as well. Other things you can do then is modify your goals or expectations. So um, Gemma Dale or HR Gem on Twitter, um, you know, she, she regularly makes the point that the way that we're working right now isn't just remote or virtual working. This is remote or virtual working during a pandemic, as she would kind of enunciate in her tweets. So the, the situation we're in now isn't just a standard, right, that's everybody needs to work from home where everybody's working virtually. This is whilst all of the other things that are going off as well. So you might have a set of goals or expectations or standards maybe that you've set for yourself. And, and when you bring in that context of, oh, actually we're in a global pandemic, maybe we need to manage those goals or expectations or standards that we might have. Okay. So again, I want to give the opportunity to, to pause and think about what you want to do now or what you want to do next with what we've just talked about. So we've been through a situation modification, which is how can we adapt or change the situations that we're in to make those work for us in a more constructive way. So pause and have a think about what you would want to do now or what you would want to do next. And then we'll move on to thinking about the three reactive families. So these are more reactive families of emotion regulation.
Hello and welcome back. Hope you had a good think. And uh, we're going to move on now to the reactive families of emotion regulation. So the first one of those then is attentional deployment. Um, and attentional deployment is often about distractions and it's about focusing our attention in a particular way or on a particular thing to, uh, to take our attention away from the emotion that we might be experiencing. So I talk about reactive uh, kind of a, a reactive heading that would sit under these because the first two the situation selection and situation modification they were thinking ahead of a situation to think about how you might want to either modify it or whether you want to, to choose the situations that you're in and how you want to approach them whereas these the, the, the three families that we're about to go into are when the emotion is happening so this is when the emotion has is is happening with us. It's happening, and we're, we're noticing that it's happening, and it's thinking, well, what can we do about it in a, in a reactive way? Then, so attentional deployment is often about distraction, um, and and this is something that can happen both in and out of awareness. So when it happens in awareness, is we notice that the emotion is happening, and then we choose to focus on something else. Um, and if I think about it in a in a face to face world or in a face to face environment, that would a good example of this would be where you're in a team meeting and and somebody is struggling to regulate their emotions. It could be that they're angry, could be that they're sad, could be that they're tearful, um, could be that they're anxious, and and people just kind of ignore it or they talk about something else. So we started talking about topic A, that seemed to uh, to, to make the emotions um, more either more intense or more enduring for whoever it might be. And so we talk about something else instead. Okay, so we, we, we divert the attention away from whatever it, it is that was bringing forth the emotion, and we, we look to do something different with it. So how that can happen both in and outside of awareness is, is how we distract ourselves from those thoughts or feelings that might be making it tricky for us or that might be you know something destructive so when i think about the uh the linkedin post that i put out so tony allen he talked about sending or sharing humor um uh or nonsense was his words so sharing humor or nonsense on whatsapp so as a way of of sharing, I, I don't know what that are. I guess that could be gifts, it could be memes, it could be you know other videos. In a way, potentially a bit like uh, Sharon's situational selection one in, in going to her funny videos. But the intentional, the reason I'm putting Tony's in the intentional deployment is because it's about saying, oh, this might distract, this might be, this, somebody might find it funny. So it's not a proactive. I'm going to go and find this video that renews or. Uh, eases or enriches me it's about responding or reacting to something that might be happening and might be going on um and miriam as well she talks about you know sometimes i just want to go and lose myself in great tv i just want to go and lose myself in great tv and and the losing yourself in great tv bit is that's the distraction it's the you're thinking you know your your thoughts and your feelings are focused on the tv for example rather than being focused on whatever it was that might have been going on for you and sometimes it'll happen outside of awareness. You know, there are times where I might be finding some finding uh, finding something tricky. You know, a tricky conversation. I might be procrastinating about something. I might be think I might be feeling uh, feeling about a particular task or activity that I need to do. And then the next thing I know, I've got my phone in my hand, or I've started to to go and and read a research paper, or I've gone down a rabbit hole and gone, oh, hang on a minute, how did I get here? Um, 
and so what I've noticed in that when I do find myself in situations where I'm like, hang on a minute, I, I went out with the intention of doing X and now I'm doing Y. Why is that? Um, is because if it's a tricky thing, something I may be finding challenging or difficult, um, then I, 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 as a way of coping with it, out of my awareness, I distract myself with something else. So, for example, I find that when I focus on helping someone else, that that's easier for me to do. So if I've got something that I know I'm 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 anxious about or frustrated with or uh, or you know concerned about doing, I can easily distract myself with a phone call to somebody who I can chat to who might need my help on something, and then I can I can distract myself by helping them instead of dealing with the thing that I've actually got to deal with. So it's interesting for me then to see um, how this plays out in some of the virtual meetings or the virtual interactions that I'm in. So when do when do our when do our attentions get um, distracted or avoiding something or things that we're actually meant to be doing or meant to be talking about? So when that difficult conversation needs to happen, or we get to that that uh, as Julia Driver would call it, that gnarly. Uh, point or that gnarly agenda item or that that topic that everyone finds tricky to discuss do we actually do it or do we allow ourselves to put our attention elsewhere do we talk about something else instead so one of the things to look out for in, in a virtual meeting is when does that happen when are we diverting our attention away from what needs to be discussed or that emotionally charged thing that needs to be explored or agreed or decided on and when are we distracting ourselves off with something else instead So attentional deployment then is often about distraction. It could be both inside and outside of awareness. And what I'm going to encourage you to think about now is what do you want to do now or next about this um, approach? Maybe thinking about when does it happen for you? How does it happen for you? Um, and or when does when do you seem to use attentional deployment as a way of helping you regulate and work with how you feel? Okay, so we're going to move into um, family number four now then, uh, and that is cognitive change or reappraisal. Uh, and Adrian Close was the uh, was the person in the LinkedIn post who uh, talked about this strategy when he said that it's about focusing on the reasons to be cheerful. You know, focus on the reasons to be cheerful. For example, there's a vaccine um, that this hopefully will be our final lockdown uh, and he talks about there being, you know, people are saving money and therefore there may be an economic explosion um, at the end of it or afterwards after the, the, the lockdown is finished and all the vaccines have been rolled out. So the, the cognitive change or reappraisal then is about kind of revisiting or rethinking about the appraisal that we may have given to the situation. So I gave an example of one earlier on where I talked about how drive, <coughs> driving past the park excuse me, driving past the park then, uh, how, what I was thinking, what I was feeling in response to that. So one of the ways that I could reappraise that um, is to think about how um, do, the people in the park are, are doing the things that they need to do that's right or best for them. Or I could reappraise it by saying, I'm doing, the other example I gave was how I can reappraise it by thinking, well, I'm doing what I think is right and I'm doing things that are in line with my values or my beliefs or what I think is the right thing to do. Um, and so by doing that, 
it allows me to to change or potentially uh, amend how I feel because of the way that I'm looking at whatever it was that that maybe started or brought forth the emotion in the first place. So at the heart of reappraisal are some questions that I would encourage you to think about. So when you're in that emotion and you're aware that you're in that you're in it, um, you know, the is to think, well, what am I making this mean? So there's this situation, there's this thing happening, there's this thing I'm seeing or hearing or sensing, or there's the thing I'm remembering. And what am I making it mean? Another question that could help would be, well, what else could explain X? What else could explain this situation? What else could explain people being at the park? What else could explain whatever that might be? And if I was to assume the best in me or to assume the best in other people's, then what might be happening in other people's? Sorry. If I was to assume the best in myself or the best in others, then what is happening? So what cognitive change or reappraisal is trying to do is to get you to think differently about what's happening to try and then again change and affect how you feel. So if I was to think about some of the the ways that you might want to um, reappraise at the moment. So from an external perspective, I might think, well, this is an opportunity for me to spend so much time with my family and so much time at home. Because I've, I've never been at home so much in my adult life. Uh, every single role I've had has involved some degree of travel um, and being away. And I've never spent so many nights consecutively in my own bed ever, I don't think. Um, so the the opportunity then of uh, of lockdown is for is I can reframe it to say, well, what a wonderful chance it is for me to spend this much time at home, this much time with my family. Or if I was to think about it from an internal perspective, I could think, well, I'm not angry about what's happening. I'm passionate about doing the right thing and I'm passionate about protecting myself or protecting others. So you can do the cognitive reappraisal thinking about things from an external perspective or from an internal point of view as well. So what I want to do now then is to give you another opportunity to pause and think about, well, what do you want to do now or next in this cognitive change or reappraisal? Are there other ways that you could look at a situation? Are there other things that other ways that you could could view it or see it that may make it more constructive for you? Thinking about what are you making it mean? What else could explain what's happening and what's going on? And if I was to assume the best in me or others, then what might be happening as well as the idea that I come up with? And I think the the meaning that we that we make when we we see or experience or remember something is one perspective on it. And and so thinking about alternative meanings for some can be really helpful. So I know I said I was going to pause and, and I'm now carrying on talking and I'll pause in a moment because when we read that email or we we listen to that voicemail or we hear that thing in, in someone's voice or we see something happening and we feel an emotion in response to that, we've, we've attributed a meaning of some sort to it. And one of the ways that we can do this cognitive change and reappraisal is to think, well, what else could it mean? What else could be going on? One of my favorite kind of mantras that I say to myself a lot is there's always more going on than I think. There's always more going on than I think is happening. So what else could that be? And that can be a way of helping us change or reappraise how we're feeling. So I will now actually properly pause, I promise. So you can think about what you want to do now or what you want to do next 
and how you might be able to use cognitive change and reappraisal. Okay, so our fifth and final family is about response modulation. So this is the, the latest or the, 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 yeah, the latest in the process of an emotion. So if there's, if the trigger is the beginning um, and then the emotion ending is the end, then response modulation is, is the furthest down that process of all of these different emotion regulation uh, strategies. And it's where we are often in the emotion. And the way that we modulate the response, so the way that we, we modulate the, the sensations or the feelings that we have, you can look at them in two different ways. You can look at it from a physiological perspective, or you can look at it from a physical perspective. So from a physiological perspective, then, we could do things like breathing. So breathing that is uh, advocated in things like yoga, meditation, um, or uh, the, the classic parental one of count to 10. So those things in terms of breathing, pausing, focusing, focusing on your breath in particular, because by regulating your breath, it regulates your heart, it regulates your heart rate, your, it can help regulate your blood pressure, and it can help regulate those physiological sensations. Because the, the human body is amazing. When it notices something important to our welfare is happening, it will then make the physiological changes that we need to help us deal with that emotion. Now, the one of the challenges we have is that we may not always be able to, to deal with that in, in a particular way or maybe even a, a way, an evolutionary way. So by regulating our breath, it helps regulate all of the other physiological aspects as well. So it helps regulate other aspects of the autonomic nervous system. So by doing things like breathing, relaxing our shoulders, um, relaxing tense muscles, counting to 10, those physiological changes can be helpful. Similarly, you could have some physical changes. So you could move, you could exercise. Now, this is different to, I talked about moving and exercising in the first family with situation selection. So this isn't moving or exercising in a planned way, which it would be if it was in situation selection. This is moving or exercising in a response modulation way. This is like, right, I'm in it. I'm feeling this feeling and I want to help, I want to help myself work with it. I'm going to go for a walk because that going for a walk or doing exercise can help you modulate and work with that emotion. There are other things that you can do, other things that I've done. I, I, my, if I was to look at my shopping habits, I'm buying more beer now than I was at the start of lockdown. So things like alcohol, food, drugs, cigarettes, those things are other ways that we can modulate our emotions. So we can have those physiological things that we can do. We can have the physical things that we can do, and then some will span both. So, for example, yoga or mindfulness is something that can span both. Yoga especially, uh, or Pilates might be another one that you'd put into that category as well. So it's a physical thing that also helps in the physiological way side of things because of the way you're regulating your breathing. One of the challenges with response modulation is the, the most common approach of response modulation is suppression. It's where we suppress the emotion, where we feel it, but then we kind of squish it and push it back down again. Um, and... 
because we know that when we express emotion that can have impacts on how other people see us and if you want to know more about that then go back to episode 45 of the podcast where i interviewed eric hessian um about the some of the implications of expressing emotion in the workplace um and so what might happen is we suppress the emotion and we suppress the emotion and then it, it builds to a point where we can't hold on to it anymore and then it floods out So those flooding out episodes are as a result of persistent response modulation. So it's where the the buildup of emotion has got to the point where we can't regulate it anymore. So when we think about response modulation, then we need to be cautious with suppression because it can be one of the ways or a common way for people to to feel like they need to to modulate the response of how they feel. So for this final um, time then, again, I will pause and ask you to think about, well, what do you want to do now or next in terms of what we've talked about from a response modulation perspective? And then when we come back together, I'll bring us together in, well, I've said the word together twice. Anyway, I'll come back together for a conclusion shortly. All right. So those were the five Um, emotion regulation families two of those are proactive situation selection situation modification three of those are reactive attentional deployment cognitive change or reappraisal and response modulation so what i would encourage you to do then is to plan those proactive strategies put those things in your diary or in your calendar or on your to-do list those things that you know enrich ease or renew you put those in because they can help and then bring greater awareness and choice to those reactive strategies. Now, as I've worked my way through, you might have heard things that you know are like your go-to favourites, um, your go-to things that you do. So I know when I've had a particularly bad day, the temptation to go and open the fridge and crack open a beer is high. Um, so if I, if I know that those are my kind of go-to um, ones, then how might I experiment with doing other ones or so using other strategies? I would also love to know what you do and how it works. So you can let me know on Twitter. I'm at Phil Wilcox. You can let me know on LinkedIn. Surprisingly, I'm Phil Wilcox. Or you can tag the Emotion at Work company page. Um, And I'd love to know how you do. And if you found this episode useful, then I would, again, I would be very, very grateful if you left a review. So I am in constant awe when I look through my podcast listening figures that Every day I'm in somebody's ears and that blows my mind that every day somebody is listening to to at least an episode of this podcast and that is hugely humbling and makes me a little bit proud as well. So if you would like to help other people find this content then leaving a review on uh, iTunes or um, uh, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from leaving us a review would be really really helpful. And that's it. So look after yourself. Stay safe. That seems to be like the the, the phrase for 2020 into 2021. Um, and uh, I hope one day I might actually get to see you. And maybe, even though you might not know, even though I might not know you, maybe even hug you when we can get back to doing the whole hugging thing again. Um, and yeah, I hope what we've covered today is helpful in some way, in some form. And I'll see you soon. 
You've been listening to the Emotion at Work podcast, and if you got this far, you must be interested in the role that emotions have in the workplace, either within individuals, between people in teams, or in organisations as a whole. So head over to the Emotion at Work hub, which you can find at community.emotionatwork.co.uk. Thanks for listening.